loan officers. Join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation. Welcome, everyone. My name is Kyle Hershey. I'm the COO of the Mortgage Calculator, joined here by our president, Nick Hershey, and our sales manager, Jose Gonzalez. Every Tuesday and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we do these loan officer trainings where we do a deep dive each week into a different loan type or loan training. Now, yesterday, we touched base on this and set it up a little bit, talking about asset utilization loans or asset depletion loans, they're sometimes called. And so Jose uh, told us essentially what they are. And now today we're going to talk a little bit about how we can use them, look at some actual scenarios with some rates and go through all that. But first, Jose, I think we should do a little recap of what an asset utilization loan is. So our sales manager, Jose Gonzalez, with 27 years of experience as a loan officer and realtor, we'll take it from here and let's talk about asset utilization loans. All right, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, for tonight's training on asset utilization loans. Great to be with you here tonight. I would say good evening or good afternoon, depending what part of the country you're at, because I know we have our MLOs scattered throughout the whole United States. It's a beautiful thing. So asset utilization loans are a great tool, often overlooked, because most people find it hard to believe that you could actually qualify for a loan based on your liquid assets that you have without having to pledge those assets. Previously, uh, asset utilization loans were only available like at the big brokerage houses where you had your investments. And depending on the amount of investments that you had, they would let you pledge them, lend you money, and uh, you know charge you a nominal interest rate, but you had to pledge the assets, right? You They were tied up. You couldn't just freely move them around and you could keep them there. You could make money off of them, right? But you couldn't liquidate them, so to speak. Now, with the asset utilization loans that we have now at our disposal, the income is solely based on the amount of the asset. You don't have to pledge the asset. You don't have to tie the asset up. Typically, now what you can use recap a little bit about yesterday is, again, what I mean by liquid assets, specifically, we'll be talking about checking accounts, savings account, money market accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And then you could even use retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs. Now, there may be a haircut on those retirement accounts, meaning you're usually not going to be able to use 100% of the account to go towards the income, but you can use it even though if those accounts do tend to have a little bit of restricted access, that's why they don't let you use 100% because they know usually if you have to liquidate those accounts, there's going to be a haircut of some type, right? Tax liability, early withdrawal penalty liability, different different things like that. So you cannot use assets like other real estate or fancy cars or expensive artwork to be nor crypto to be included in the calculation for the assets and the calculation for the asset uh, for the income are going is going to vary depending on which 
program option that you choose because as you know there are multiple options each option is usually going to have specific guidelines to it right so some will use a 70% or should I say 60 months some use 84 months to divide the figure so some let you use 80% of the retirement accounts others let you use 70% so it really varies on the option the key to note is that we do have options that let you combine asset utilization with other income types, right? So you could have a borrower that ha- that is W-2 that can also be bank statement, that can also be P&L, and that can also be asset utilization. You, you, you can actually combine all four of them or a combination of the four. Right now, that is not available for every program option that we have. That's a very specific option, but a very amazing option. So you can imagine why every program option doesn't offer that type of flexibility, but we do have it. And another real cool option is where you can add asset utilization as supplemental income. So in our non-QM side, if your DTI is 60% or under, you can actually use the excess funds left over after down payment, closing costs, and the reserve requirement are deducted from the mix. Whatever is left over in monies, you can divide that by 36 months. So they do let you divide it by less months. You can divide it by 36 months. And then you can get that additional income to help you qualify. So in yesterday's example, I brought up the case of if somebody has $50,000 left over, divided by 36 months, it was roughly $1,300 and change. So that could be additional income. So if you were, you know, $1,300 is a lot monthly to help you meet your DTI requirements. So keep that in mind. Now, again, that is not for every option that we have for asset utilization, but it is able to use it. And I think that there are many programs that would be able to benefit from that. Now, I, I do have multiple options to show you at different loan to values where we would be in the rate for a primary for multi-units and for investment property, one unit and multi-unit, and for a couple of cash-out examples, right? So, good. It's pretty legible there, right? Beautiful, nice and big. So, in our first example here is our best-case scenario, right? Your best-case scenario is going to be a primary purchase of a one-unit property. So you here, now keep the max LTV is 90%. Keep in mind that the best options really are at 85% LTV and below. So when you are pricing them out, you know, you would probably obviously show the 90 and the 85 and then discuss with your customer the cost benefit analysis of, of the extra 5% LTV to see where that will take you. But here in this example, and you'll see when I show you the 85% LTV example next, that, you know, it is a little pricey at 10.5% as our lowest cost option, but you are able to buy it down all the way to 9.7, excuse me, 9.25%, and that is at a 90% LTV 
which is our best case scenario. So now we have a primary four unit at an eight at a 85% LTV, which is the max. And you know, pretty good rate there, but they do hit you with a 5% LTV hit. Well, it's never an LTV hit. It's just less um, less players out there are offering that 85% LTV or four unit at all on the asset utilization. 85% is the max, but you do have, again, pretty good rates there. Better already than at the 90% LTV with you have 9.5 as your lowest cost and 8.75 as your lowest rate option for your five unit, excuse me, four unit, sorry, I'm seeing double here. So now you can compare our loan level price adjustments between the four unit and the one unit, right? Whereas our one unit is 9.375 with a little bit of a lender credit, you can buy it all the way down to 8.125. And let me go a minute here to our other one. It was 9.5 with a $2,656 loan discount fee. So there's about a $3,100 swing. And actually, if we look at the comparable rate, which is 9.375, you have about a 42, almost a $4,300 swing in the cost of the rate for the four unit versus the one unit. But again, two different type of properties, but I just wanted to bring it up that it is a pretty good deal still on that four unit at the max LTV of 85%. So now to put it into context here for you, you see the same one unit purchase, but instead we are at an 80% LTV. So now you see the rates get substantially better because the majority of the conduits for this product will go to 80%. Less of them go to 85% and even less go to 90%. Hence, you see the progression in the rates increasing. So here you do have a really good option of 8% as your lowest cost option and you can buy it down to seven and a half percent and i would say that you can probably buy it down a little bit more than that if we went a little bit deeper into the rate sheet because at seven and a half percent this loan amount you're looking that's two points and i'm pretty sure we can go higher than two points in cost if the customer wanted to so you probably would be looking in the low sevens maybe even all the way down to seven percent for the lowest rate option, which is pretty amazing for asset utilization. And now our investment properties. Now here, our maximum LTV is 85% on the investment. Still a very good option. Now, again, limited program options at an 85%. Hence, you do see the rates are you know, a little bit higher uh, with 10.749 being our lowest cost option. And you can actually buy it down all the way to 8.749, which looks a lot more attractive, even though it has a cost of a little bit over three points. But if the customer is going to be in the property, 
for a few years, you would just take the analysis there. You got about a $623 difference monthly. Sorry, in the payment. So that's what, about $11,000 difference in the cost. So where is that going to put you? Not even 20 months. Not even 20 months, you're going to recoup the payment, recoup the cost of the buy down. So if your borrower is looking to stay in that property for, let's say, two years or longer, he it is definitely a benefit to buy down the rate if they have the money. Obviously, that's always a catch. But if they do have the money, it is a really good benefit, really good difference in the payments. So this is for the one-unit purchase, uh, maximum 85% LTV. And then at an 80% on the four-unit, I'll provide the one-unit in a minute, the, the 80% four-unit and the maximum LTV for the four-unit investment is 80%. So again, you see a 5% reduction in the LTV on the investment property, the same as you saw in the primary when you're going from a one-unit to a two to four-unit. I put four-unit there, but it's really two to four-unit is the same tier as you know two, three, and four is going to be the same. So you're still looking at a good option there, uh, amazing option of 8.999, and you can buy that all the way down to 7.374. So uh, really good there. And I just go back a minute to the other one, and you see 10.749. So you're looking at almost a 2% swing so it would be quite a much lower payment if somebody were to go to this option off the bat. You're looking at seven, seven, almost $800 a month difference in the payment to go to the lower LTV. Actually, that was one unit. Let's go our one unit here. Well, what happened to my one unit? Well, our investment one unit cash out. Right. This is at a 780. The maximum LTV for this program is 80% for the cash out on the investment. So uh, pretty good there, you know, because the max LTV on the purchase is 85, but that was only a very limited option. So the fact that you do have an 80% option at an 8.75 rate uh, with a very nominal cost, and you can buy it down to 7 point four nine so that is very good options there and then our primary one unit cash out now you'll know that the max ltv for a cash out regardless of investment or regardless of primary is 80 percent so that's why i was saying that it's actually a pretty good deal on the investment property that they give you 80 percent because on the primary they only give you 80 percent on the cash out so pretty good options there on on all of our programs here but you know the the main thing to note with the asset utilization program is that you know it is an alternative if an income if you cannot fit your borrower either into if they're not self-employed because if they are self-employed you're definitely going to try first if at all possible the bank statement option 
or the P&L option if they cannot go traditional full doc with tax returns. Because asset utilization is higher rates, a little bit higher rates, and has more limitations than bank statement. Bank statement option, the rates and costs are going to, for non-QM at least, are going to be almost identical, and in many cases, identical to the full doc with tax returns, right? So, or with pay stubs and W-2s. Not going to be much of a difference there when you're going bank statement and fold up with W-2s or, or tax returns on non-QM. Little bit, you start seeing a little bit of an adjustment <clears throat> when you go to P&L, and then you definitely see some more adjustments when you go to asset utilization in terms of max, uh, you know, the, the rates and how how many program options you can find, for example, at 90%. You can find many more 90% options for a primary purchase using bank statements than you are using profit and loss reports or using asset utilization. And definitely it's going to affect things when you're on the investment side as well. So again, but a great option for your borrowers that have the liquid the liquid assets. And liquid assets, like I mentioned yesterday, a prime example you could use this. Let's say you have a borrower that gets paid in stocks. Right? That happens, you know, they get stock options and they get paid in stocks. So normally you may think to go, if it's a primary purchase, to go the CDFI no income program. But the CDFI no income program is is a, is an eighty percent max option. So if I go here a minute to my eighty percent LTV right here, right. So if I go right here to my eighty percent LTV purchase, and it it has eight percent rate with only a five hundred dollar cost. Now, this is for a a $400,000 loan, right? So that's very nominal fee there. However, if you were to price the same loan with the same credit score, 780, on a one-unit property at an 80% LTV with a CDFI loan, which is what we call the no-income verification loans, the community-based loan for primary and second homes, that loan is going to be somewhere around a, almost a 10% around there. I think I've been pricing them out like 10, 10.375% at a cost of about 3.25 points. So because, you know, and 12 months of reserves. So besides having to come up with 20%, besides paying over 2% higher in a rate than this option, uh, you know, you're you're going to have a super high rate on top of that. So you, so if you have that borrower that has the assets, again, obviously they got to have the assets, but in a lot of cases they do, and the MLO just doesn't put two and two together when they're trying to look for the best deals out there. Now, that doesn't happen at the mortgage calculator because we have all of the program options, and we like to train our loan officers to think outside the box. Which is which is one of the benefits of of either affiliating yourself with us as a MLO or 
using our services as a borrower. So you see right there, the big difference, you'd be looking at a huge payment difference. And usually the only difference would be that maybe if you're at a company that doesn't offer all these programs, you wouldn't even know it exists. Maybe you know the CDFI exists. So you wouldn't really be able to offer the customer the full spectrum of options that are out there. All right. <clears throat> Looks like we got a question here. If you want to pull that up, Nick. Uh, so Charles is asking, will this scenario allow the borrower to use the equity from another investment home as a down payment? Nope. He, unless I mentioned that at the very beginning, it would have to be liquid assets, you know, cash, checking, savings, money market, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, retirement accounts, but it cannot be any asset like a property because, you know, this is asset utilization. This is not cross collateralization. So you would be able to cross cross collateralize another asset depending on the loan type. Now, that's a very limited function. And usually it's more of the portfolio loans that are going to allow that kind of stuff, the, those exotic type loans, you know, that would allow that. But, you know, in essence, acidization means you got a statement, you see what it's worth and, and what you have in the balance and you divide by a number of months, but you wouldn't be able to do that with a home or with a car or with artwork. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Why are there LTV limits? Is that the lender's requirement? Yes, there are definitely LTV limits on everything that's out there, right? It wouldn't be a free-for-all. Now, in the non-conforming space, the LTV maximum for any loan product is going to be 90%. Now, that doesn't mean that every loan product will go to 90% because the primaries usually, I mean, the investments are usually going to have a lower LTV than the primary, and then the cash outs are going to have a lower LTV than the purchases like you saw in, in the examples that I that I provided. However, what you got to be aware is that all of these guidelines are basically set by the buyer. Let's call it the buyer of the packages, right? How the process works. Loan is, 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 is originated. Uh, the loan is sold. You got the aggregator, let's say, who puts it all together, securitizes the package, and then sells it to the end buyer. That could be a pension plan, could be a, a life insurance, could be a hedge fund, could be a number of different institutions that will like to invest their money in securitized packages of loans. So whoever is buying the loan is going to usually negotiate and uh, with the person that's putting it together and let them know what their requirements are as far as what they want to yield, the risk that they want to accept, and then they will devise the guidelines, right? So that's why the guidelines will change typically from, from option to option, because it really depends who is securitizing the package, who's buying the package. So, you know, and right now the consensus, nobody wants to go above 90, you know, that doesn't mean like there's any rule against it. That just means they don't have any need to do it. But it, when times get a little turbulent, they may reduce the LTVs and tighten up the guidelines like during the pandemic. 
Uh, when it started there, we had a lot of bank statement programs were eliminated for a while and all this stuff was eliminated because the end user, the end buyers weren't buying it. They're like, hey, we're going to wait and see what's going to happen here. We wanted to make sure things weren't going to melt down. And then slowly but surely, the market came back. Uh, and then they started, you know, the bank statement option came back at a 60 and then at a 70 and then at an 80. And now we're at a 90 percent again which is where we were at uh, pre-pandemic. So it, that's going to fluctuate depending on the appetite that the market has for the product and how much how much liquidity there is in the market to purchase the product. And I just we're, wanna... we're talking about the exact opposite of conventional FHA and VA here. Uh, Jake, to your follow-up question, we're talking about uh, programs that we're making up ourselves, right? We're not talking about any government or... Conventional is still quasi-government, right? It's still a GSE. It's still propped up and supported by the government. Therefore, it's not a true open market. We're talking about open market securitized loans. That's what non-QM means. It's not a government. It's not you know set by government parameters. It's set by private people who negotiate, as Jose said, every single day, negotiate different LTVs at different different things as Jose mentioned, right? What were the other little uh, tips and tricks you were going over combining income, right? Some uh, some life insurance companies may allow you to combine income, say that's great. Some may say no, never, right? And then you have to adjust accordingly. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it boils down to number of factors, right? The liquidity in the market, right? How much money is there right now to purchase product? And, you know, what? what's the appetite, right? The more appetite that they have for, for gaining market share, right, they may add different twists to their guidelines to differentiate themselves from the competition to attract more loans, right? Like, like. Like what Nick was just mentioning, right? They we have the one option that allows us to combine multiple income stream types, right? That's pretty cool, right? Now they they add a little pricing hits on that. I'm sure that they factor in to to the rates that they charge, but that's really you know something that could get them more market share, right? So and then also what they the rate and the cost on the rate, right? That that fluctuates almost on a daily basis. Part of it. Obviously, it has to do with stuff like the 10-year treasury, but another part of it has to do with their own competition. That's why you see on the on the agency side, right, conventional FHA, VA, USDA, they really do track a lot closer to what's happening in the financial markets with the 10-year and the 30-year and, and the yield curve and all that stuff, right? They're going to stay a lot truer to that versus non-QM that has more flexibility uh, since they're selling a bunch of different people. So they're they're going to tweak it depending on what they need to make and on their appetite for risk, right? I know, like, for example, a couple, one of our favorite conduits prior to the pandemic had the best rates, right? But then they took a hit in the secondary market and they decided to go conservative on their pricing so the rates, their rates were like half a percent, three quarters of a percent higher than everybody else because they decided they were going to write it out and not take 
the riskier loans at that time until I guess they were able to rebalance their portfolio. I think it's probably a little bit about what happened there. But then as you know, the market has, has opened up, especially the secondary market, there's a lot more money than we would imagine out there in Wall Street trying to figure out creative ways to make money, especially when now you're talking about 7%, 8%, 9%, 10%, 11% uh, and these aren't hard money loans. They're they're loving it. So, you know, they're 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 chasing the money. That's why you don't see as much of an impact uh, on the non-QM rates when there's the volatility on the financial markets, like on the 10-year treasury, for example. I do want to just interject real quick for a little Jose lesson here, talking about how they tweak, how they uh, do different things, change the guidelines. Uh, one thing Jose talks about is when you remember, when you lock a loan, you also lock the guidelines. And if you don't lock the loan, you didn't lock the guidelines, right, Jose? Yes. Oh, my God. That is that can be a nightmare. I'm so glad that, that you brought that up because we definitely were experiencing a lot of that as we were still in the pandemic and getting out of the pandemic, the the secondary was having knee-jerk reactions to anything, any news that came out. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really was not uncommon to, you know, have a situation where if you didn't lock your loan in, your file submitted, then all of a sudden they dropped the LTV by 5% or increased the FICO score by 20 points or 40 points. And if you ha- did not have your loan locked, you're out of gas. But if your loan is locked, then you'll be okay. So that's why it's a fine line on rate lock management, right? What what you we always recommend that you lock your files in as soon as possible. And on your purchase file, we always recommend that you lock them in for 45 days unless you have an appraisal waiver type file, which is gonna be a conventional file, right? Because you know, you you could get delays on appraisals, this and that, but as soon as you have an agreement from the customer. Right. When we're disclosing that file, that's the rate that the customer expects. They're going to expect to get, let's say, 7%. That's what they sign on the application. You want to make sure that as soon as that file is registered on the portal that you put in your lock request, because like Kyle mentioned, it's not just the rate that we're locking in. Obviously, that's what everybody thinks about. We're also locking in the guidelines. That's what could kill your deal a lot more because a customer could get over Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to get seven. I'm going to get seven and a quarter. OK, I can deal with it. But a customer may have a problem if all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. Now I have nowhere else I can go to because I have a 665 and now it's a 700. Why didn't you lock in my file when it was a 660 credit score requirement? Now, now that's a big problem. All right. Looks like we have another question here if you want to pull it up. Float down for a TBD purchase. I wouldn't, nope. wouldn't necessarily recommend that necessarily anyway. And uh, it's going to have a cost and stuff to it as well. So, yeah, yeah. especially when we're dealing with non-QM, remember, we don't know what we're getting until we know what we're getting, right? So a TBD purchase, you might need to use asset depletion, as we just went over today, instead of bank statements, right? That you thought you had to use, right? So uh, doing a TBD purchase is really impossible for non-QM. Obviously, it's a little more standard for maybe uh, what you're used to there in the agency and the government world, right? So yeah, it wouldn't even even be possible if it was possible, right, Jose? Right. 
I mean, in non-QM, definitely, I haven't seen any where you can do, like uh, some of them call it, what, shop and lock or or whatever they want to call it. That I've only seen that on agency. I haven't seen that on, on non-QM. And, and when you do get it, be, be aware that you're going to have to do it for an extended period of time also. So you're going to have to do it for 60 days, 75 days, whatever it is, because your customer is still looking for a property. So keep keep that in mind you know you got a lot of volatility right now so it may sound like a good idea but you got to really see what the difference because to give you extended rate locks right now costing a lot more than usual because of the volatility in the market they want to hedge their risk good lesson today (laughs) yeah absolutely way beyond asset utilization loans but uh, great great uh, other subjects there so thank you for the questions. That was perfect. Um, but if you want to navigate some of these programs out there, of course, the mortgagecalculator.com. You know, we do this every Tuesday and Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern for your loan officers out there, different topics every week. I had yesterday. So if you weren't tuned into yesterday, make sure to tune in. You can check that out on YouTube for yesterday where we kind of set this up. And so there's some more info on that one as well. But today was great. Got some more info on asset utilization loans and some more info uh, just in general. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, everyone. We hope to see you next week, 7 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday for the next episode of Loan Officer Training Series with the Mortgage Calculator. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Loan officers, join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation.